Tues Davis. It is the Colby Daniels Podcast. I am Colby Daniels, along with Aaron Davis. Aaron, I love the brand, Tues Davis. I think it hits. It's uh, it's just spectacular marketing on your part. What's happening, my friend? Not much. Look, sometimes, sometimes you just, you know, you just nail it. Like, sometimes you just, you fall right into the perfect branding. Uh, like... I don't know, like Diet Coke, you know, <laughs> nobody expected Diet Coke to be Diet Coke. But next thing you know, everybody was, everybody wants some DC, you know, it's, it's healthier. You don't get as much sugar and, you know, you're on a diet. Well, Coke's got the product for you. There you go. Go ahead and order that triple meat burger and supersized fries. Just get a Diet Coke. And though. get the Diet Coke and it makes it all better. Exactly. See, I go good with everything. Yeah. Salad or triple cheeseburger. Right. It's just a way to make you feel a little bit better about your diet choices, right? Like, I'm going to get something that I know, I pro- like, you know, everybody can eat burgers, but depending on your diet, it's like, you know what, maybe I don't need the double meat burger today. But if I get the Diet Coke, like, I'm going to feel better about myself doing it. Like, it's, it's kind of that, like, gateway to make yourself feel better about the choice you, you just made. I mean, I'm, I'm, cur- I'm curious, like, would, like, one large regular, like, soda, like a regular Coca-Cola... It's that's like a surely that's worse than a like a meat patty, right? I would think so. Yeah, yeah, I would think so too. Yeah. So it like really, you're making the healthier choice. Yeah, by adding the the patty, that's more protein, and then it probably is. Get, yeah, but but you you it's it's called diet coke. So I think mentally, you just feel better about the decision you made when you add that to your meal rather than just getting the triple meat burger and the supersized fries. Most definitely. I mean, you could get water, but who wants water? That's come on. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Herman I'm gonna, I'm, wants water. That's who, Aaron. Tom Herman. Well, hydrate people. Hydrate. He might be drinking other things these days. Yeah. What's he doing now? I, I, I haven't I haven't heard anything from Tommy Boy. He's on someone's staff. I'm pretty sure. Is he? Uh, for the Bears. Yeah, he's just oh, he's okay. an offensive analyst for the Bears. So, so just Oof. another sign that Matt Nagy is one of the worst coaches in the league. Good lord. What a disaster. We, we, by the way, go ahead. I was just like, they win a game. Obviously, their defense played a big part in the Bears winning on Sunday. But to like Andy Dalton goes down and then come out on Monday and say that definitively Andy Dalton is the starter of this team. Like he just he wants does he? I think he wants to lose his job. So I've heard conflicting reports about whether this is a coaching staff decision or a front office decision. Wow. If it's a front office decision, then that tells me that they absolutely have a, are planning on firing Matt Nagy after the season. Yes. Because they're not, they're not giving him a chance to succeed. Agreed. And if it's a Matt so, Nagy decision, he needs to probably be... I don't advocate for anybody losing their job. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just one of those things. Like, if, if you're evaluating your situation, Justin Fields needs to be the guy. Right. And we're talking about a guy who, a few years ago, had Mitch Trubisky as a Pro Bowl quarterback, so... Well, I'm supposed to think that he can't put Justin Fields in like a good situation to, you know, thrive in that offense. Right. Well, obviously not because they're somebody in that building is too afraid to play their rookie uh, unless they're forced to. So woof. Yeah. Yeah. What a disaster. Did you catch any of the Manning broadcast last night? Caught a little bit of it. Um, had some other things I was taking care of. So I, I just had like the main broadcast on cause I wanted to watch it on mute, but I did catch a little bit of the Eli and Peyton. Uh, the story about Peyton meeting with his receivers in the shower was, <laughs> oh, I don't yeah, know if he was yeah. being serious. In Foxborough? Like, yeah. Yeah. 
I think he was, because I feel like I've heard that story before, but that, that's just a, that, that's hilarious, just like, like he said, just picture seven dudes in the shower, like, huddled up, having a meeting, and then, uh, Gronk was, Gronk was Gronk, like, Gronk, I, I, sometimes I wonder if, like, that's who Gronk actually is, off camera, or if it's just a character that he's kind of built up for his brand, that he just, like, has to ham it up a little bit on on camera when he's on TV. It feels like it, it's, I, I think it is who he is, but it's exaggerated. Exaggerated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and, and that's was, not really his setting to thrive in. I didn't think like, I, I, I like Gronk, but ugh, that, that was painful. Yeah. Well, definitely not with those nerds that he's talking to. Yeah. But it was good. McAfee was good. Uh, McAfee had a hard time, not just interviewing the Manning brothers though. Mostly Peyton actually. Cause McAfee was really just like, brushing Eli off and like really had no interest in like hearing Eli say anything. I mean, well, Eli was on McAfee's show yesterday. Was he? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And several times I thought he, he asked Eli a couple questions, but, um, I, I said a week ago, I hope ESPN doesn't mess this thing up by changing something. I've, I've done a 180, Aaron. Add Pat McAfee. Like, let's just make it a permanent fixture. McAfee and the Mannings. It's the it's the perfect trio. I thought he fit terrific with those two guys. Sense of humor. He's funny. Uh, he can he also to- not only hold up his end of the conversation, but like you said, at times he can kind of dig with Peyton and Eli and 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 get some answers out of them. Well, I mean, think about it. He does a three hour show yeah. every day, yeah. Monday through Friday, that he hosts. Yeah. He drives it like he's he could be that guy and like so he's. Good. I think he's, yeah, he's really good. His show's really good. I, I mentioned, I talked to you about it last year. Um, I mean, he's like, Aaron Rodgers goes on his show every Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, and it's like 30 minutes of Aaron Rodgers, like him or hate him, but like he's, it, you know, he's as candid as he can be without kind of, you know, throwing a lot of people under the bus. But it's interesting. It's good stuff. And like Pat gets a lot of out of Aaron Rodgers, a lot more than anybody else does. And like you said, yeah, he's, it's entertaining. He's a good dude. I mean, he's like killing it with the WWE right now, apparently. I mean, I haven't watched him, but like yeah. apparently, like social media loves him on uh, on SmackDown on Friday nights. Uh, but yeah, it was good. It wasn't. I don't know if the game kind of scripted the the broadcast to be less entertaining than Week One, or if it's just because I knew kind of knew what to expect Week Two, since I, you know last week was just like we didn't know what to happen, and we got this great thing and with the Mannings and all this stuff, and now it's kind of we know the formula, so maybe it just wasn't as shocking how entertaining it was, but it was still good. Like I still, the clips I heard and the segments that I heard, like I was, I still enjoyed them. It was still better than the regular broadcast. I, for the second week in a row, didn't watch one second of the regular broadcast. And just like last week, I loved it. I mean, it's, it's informative. It's funny, good storytelling. I mean, McAfee on the, on the red 18 in the casino. With yeah, Peyton great. is great story. Uh, I mean, it was across the board. It was so good. And especially the McAfee and Manning portion was amazing. Yeah, I mean, what their former teammates, obviously, with him and Peyton, and like they, you know, I would assume they know each other decently well. And like you said, Eli was on a show the other day. Yeah, it was good. It's a good formula. Maybe I don't know. Obviously, you can't have Pat on for the entire, you know, right. four hours every week. But if they want to have him on for a quarter every week, like I'm perfectly fine with that. Which is funny though, because uh, a few months ago, ESPN told all of their employees not to go on the Pat McAfee show. So stupid. and then. Yeah, and then now they're having him on arguably the best broadcast that they've had in ever, 20 yeah. years. I don't know. Like, they finally found a diamond in the rough, and they're like, we got to get Pat McAfee on. 
McAfee's great. I, I don't know yeah. why there's this, uh, and, and I don't know if it's just from, like, quote, traditional broadcaster slash journalists that, like, don't want to let him in the club because he's not, like, the traditional broadcaster. But the guy's amazingly talented, fantastic, funny. Like you said, he drives his own show. He's he's terrific. I don't know why, why there's this, like, build a wall and and not let Pat McAfee in sort of stance? Uh, I think corporately, I think the corporate answer is because he, he kind of went out and did it on his own because he was with, uh, who was he originally with? Barstool. He was with one of the bigger companies. Fox, maybe? Barstool, I don't know. But right? Who? Barstool. I don't know that he started with Barstool. I think I... Was he somewhere else before Barstool? Yeah, he oh, had okay. a show. I have to look it up because it's going to bother me. Um, but I remember, like, when he was still playing with Indianapolis, like him going on Dan Patrick and, like, Dan having him on for a segment, and, like, listening to him talk. I'm like, this dude doesn't sound like an athlete. Like, this guy is straight. Like, this dude has broadcaster vibes. Yeah. He straight up, like, knew how to do it. Uh, per- great personality. Like, even as a player, like, go in there and say interesting things. I have some fun takes. He, he was a. Uh, I think it was on Sirius XM. Oh, okay. Uh, well, he also did some game day stuff with ESPN. I don't know if you remember him jumping in the river in Waco. Yeah, I do remember him doing some game day stuff. And then uh, his, yeah, so he's been on, his show was originally on uh, Westwood One, and then he moved to Sirius and then bailed out on those and kind of went independent and just did, does it on YouTube now. Yeah. But I think he does do, like, his kind of partner with Barstool now. But anyways, yeah, it was great. He's, I, I can't get enough of that dude, which is, I mean, I, I might be one of those curmudgeon, like, you know, media people that kind of doesn't want the whole industry to be taken over by former athletes. But, I mean, he's, I mean, he's, he's good enough. You can't deny how good he is, like, rather, regardless of whether or not he's a former athlete. Like, it's well-deserved, and, like, he, like, he takes it serious. He's right. good at it. Yeah, to me, it's not about former athlete or non-athlete. It's about, are you talented at this job? Pat McAfee is incredibly talented at this job. Apparently, I found this out yesterday. Uh, speaking of, are you talented and do you deserve this job? Uh, Kendrick Perkins is in the new NBA 2K game as a analyst. Oh God, no! Why? Yeah, yeah like full, like they did, like face scan and like put him in the game as like a character and like their story mode or whatever. But like, yeah, of all the analysts that cover the NBA, you pick that. You pick Kendrick Perkins to be like, this is the guy that we want in our game. Maybe he was so just so brutal. I don't know, but yeah. I, I don't think Perk's a bad guy or anything like that. I just it, it's painful to watch and listen to. Speaking of broadcasters, you uh you a Gus Johnson guy? Or are you Gus Johnson kind of does he kind of wear you out a little bit when you listen to him? I'm fine with Gus. He's never bothered me. I I know that Gus is kind of what I feel like for a lot of people a love or hate guy. But I I, I don't know. He's not my favorite, but I don't dislike him either. Uh, so I had an interesting. I asked this because. He obviously called the OU Nebraska game, and then he called the Cardinals Vikings game yes. on Sunday. Yes, and I'm like, I watched it. And I'm like, this dude does not work with the NFL. Like it, the, his, the way he calls the games, just I don't know if doesn't vibe with me for an NFL game. But college, it's perfect. Like he's the epitome of like what you would want in a college game. Now it's hilarious that he calls this OU game. That I mean that that's the the OU Nebraska game was like the complete antithesis of all every OU game for the past ten years. Yes. And yes. you've got this guy whose whole shtick is he loses his mind on big plays. And there were a couple, but, like, there wasn't that many in that game, like, big 
booming, like game breaking plays. Yeah. And uh, there were a ton in the Cardinals and Vikings, and I still just. I, I kind of I don't know it just it didn't vibe well with me on him in an NFL call. The Cowboys game was on at the same time as the Cardinals game, so I I had the Cardinals game streaming, but I never had the volume up, so I was completely unaware that Gus was even on the call. But you're right, if he's going to call an NFL game, I think the Cardinals is probably the only team where that makes sense because of the Kyler Murray like big play factor. But yeah, I think Gus works so much better with college because there's so many more big plays, there's so many more breakdowns defensively that which allow big plays to happen that, you know, so many more mismatches, which allow big plays to happen. So yeah, Gus is, Gus is perfect for college football. If you like his shtick, I guess I, I will. I I did love though him absolutely losing his mind on that Graham interception, which rightfully everybody was losing their mind on that play. I apparently one way or the other, uh, whether they loved it or hated it, but uh, his cause. Oh my God, dude, that's the greatest interception I've ever seen. The greatest I mean, I, interception I've ever seen in my life. I Off the top of my head, I mean, I can't think of anything that's better at any level that right. I've seen. I've never seen an interception that was more incredible than that one. I mean, the dude, like, first off, he was parallel with the ground. And then <laughs> somehow does a full 360 in the air with the ball in his hand while catching the ball. It was, yeah, it was It was the Odell Beckham Jr. catch of interceptions. I, I saw this on Twitter. I do love that now anytime anybody makes a great one-handed catch, Odell is like immediately tagged in it on social media. Yeah, I think I did that actually. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He replied to it to somebody. I don't remember who it was, but uh, he's, I mean, Odell's full sport about it. Like that would be something stupid to be upset about, but yeah, great. Like amazing interception. Um, and to the people on social media, and I'm sure you've gotten into this on your, on your radio show yesterday. What are we doing? Like, why are we complaining about this dude interception, intercepting the ball? Like, oh, you should swat it down. The right, the right place to just knock it down. Do you, okay, let me, I mean, let me what, ask you this. Do you think that if there's any point in that play where DJ Graham was like, yeah, I'm probably going to go ahead and catch this? I think it just happens. I think you just like, he sees the ball and he's like, uh, uh, there's a ball right there. I'm going to try and get it. Yeah, I think it's instinct. What, what that was, was 100% instinct. You don't plan to make a catch like that. Like, that's not something that you have this thought process in your mind like, so when the ball's thrown, I'm going to time it just right where I can grab it with one hand, pull it in, do a 360, and land on the ground and hold on to the... It was an instinctual play. And, like, yes, is it? Is it? should he have technically batted the ball down? Yeah. Sure. But, like, yeah, but... why are we shitting on this play? Like, why does anybody feel the need to shit all over this play? And we all understand that batting it down would have ultimately been better for the team but it's not like he cost the team the game like it's so ridiculous that people have to be in this like negative let's just shit on everything mode it's not his fault that the offense couldn't get a first down yeah it's only been the best offense in college football for the last five years so right what yeah i have a lot of takeaways from this game i don't know about takeaways but i have a lot of thoughts after this game first off this oh by the way real quick real quick before we talk about the game did you see that he has T-shirts, Devonte Graham or DJ, DJ Graham? Graham yeah, Devonte Graham. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't. But it, I do you blame him? I immediately market that. Absolutely, the shirt's cool like, too. Oh, it's just it's it's a it's a drawing or whatever it is of him intercepting the ball. Like it's it's awesome. Like take advantage of that, dude. Good for him for to sure. make some money off of. Like I said, what is the most incredible interception I've ever seen? Yeah, I mean. Time of the game, too. Like, fourth down, Nebraska's, like, in. 
Were they in the red zone or were they outside of the 20 on the snap? I think they were around the 35 maybe. Okay, still great, like key play, fourth quarter. And look, yes, did it put the offense in a tougher situation? Obviously, then it would have been if they would have just, it had been a turnover on downs. But you essentially make every play that you can. These dudes play at this level because they make plays. Yeah. And it's just, it, instinctually, they make plays because they're amazing athletes. It was a great play. Like, 100 times out of 100, I want that dude to make that interception. Yeah. Um, uh, he was at the 24, so 24-yard okay. line. Uh, okay, so as far as the game goes, I'll say this. This, I'm not going to say definitively, but this might have been one of my, it might have been my favorite OU game in the past five years. Whoa, really? I thought this game was incredibly entertaining from start to finish. And we t- I've talked about this with you before. I love football games where there's struggles. I don't want to see a game where either t- both teams' offenses are just like flying up and down the field or like both teams' defenses are just like three and out, three and out. Like I, I, I want to see struggles. I want to see a back and forth. I want to see some momentum swings. And I never really thought that Nebraska was had a chance to win this game Especially when OU went up by double digits, I like I just didn't think that Nebraska's offense could be explosive enough to come back in that time. Especially the way the OU defense was playing, but I was incredibly entertained. It was like it was a physical game. It was hard hitting. Uh, Adrian Martinez, I thought played significantly better than I would have ever expected Adrian Martinez to play. Yeah. I think he outplayed Spencer Rattler in that he game. He did, and which is I mean we're talking about a high, one of the Heisman favorites, number one pick in the draft potentially next year, and he's been outplayed in two of their three games. So. And it, it isn't, I don't think Spencer's played bad. I just, I mean, I think it's kind of the reality. The kid at Tulane, I was a better quarterback in that game. And then I think today Adrian outplayed Spencer Rattler. But Agreed. regardless, OU's defense is, they played fantastic. Their front seven was so good. Um, I thought that, uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, they had Benito in the spy for a lot of the game, right? Yes. Okay, I thought he did a, he did a great job spying Adrian Martinez. I thought it was a great game plan by by Alex Grinch not to let Adrian Martinez beat them with his feet, which, I mean, he had two yards of carry. Absolutely did not do anything on the ground outside of, like, what, one 10-yard carry. So, Yeah, they game. took away thought, the ground game and made made him make plays passing the football, which is what you have to do against Adrian Martinez. And if he doesn't, then play. you have to tip your, your cap, right? Right, and that, that throw to Xavier Betts down the sideline was a great throw. I mean, yeah. that was a... Couldn't have made a better pass on that play. So, I mean... I was surprised Adrian made some plays and it was, I don't know. It just, it, it felt like an old school big 12 game. And maybe that's why I just really enjoyed it yeah. because you have this Nebraska OU rivalry. Like, I mean, this is the first time they played in, is it since Nebraska left, right? 10 years. Yes. So yeah, and we're immediately going back to that old, like physical style of football where the defenses stand out and it was good. Um, if I'm an OU fan, like really the only concern that I have right now is just Spencer Rattler's decision making. Yeah, I, w- let's get into the offense in a second. I want to make a like I feel like I might be the only one that's that's nitpicking here. And let me also emphasize, this is nitpicking. It's not like something that I think is a problem or it's glaring, but it's just me based on my expectations of what this team is versus what we're seeing. I felt like this team had national championship caliber hopes because finally the defense is at a level where I feel like they can compete against the best in college football. Your point about them playing well is absolutely true. And everybody that I've brought this up to has also said, well, they played really well. And I I agree with that. I'm not saying they didn't play well. But I, I think 
there were so many. I mean, how many third and longs did Nebraska pick up in this game? Well, like yeah. five or six. And what made Oklahoma, I feel like, different at the at the down the stretch a year ago and kind of gave us all that feeling like, hey, they can compete with the big boys now is the fact that that defensive line, without needing help from extra rushers or sending linebackers, was able to, in a lot of those third down situations a year ago, collapse the pocket, collapse the quarterback's ability to just stand back there all day and find a wide receiver. This secondary, and look, I would have said the same thing a year ago, but, I mean, you're also talking about a lot of inexperience with this group. This secondary is not good enough to have to defend for that long. So on those third and longs, those defensive linemen, and look, each of those guys in certain moments had splash plays throughout the game. But collectively, especially in those third and long situations, when you're dropping extra guys in coverage instead of chasing the quarterback, like I want to see those guys completely disrupt the quarterback's ability to just stand back there and throw the football. And like I said, it's nitpicking. I get that. It's not like a am waving a red flag, caution, caution, this is not good. But I, I want to see them get to that point that they were at a year ago when, you know, on third down, you may be sending only three or four, but like two of those guys are going to be in the backfield disrupting the play, and you're not going to allow a quarterback that's not a great passer to have eight seconds to stand back there and wait till somebody gets open. Yeah, I don't know if it was last week or after the first game, but I, you know, I brought up like how big of a loss Trey Brown is right now for this defense, just just because like, and I understand that like like you you said like the the defensive line was just putting so much pressure on the on the opponents last year, especially down the stretch, that it made it a little bit easier for those defensive backs to make plays because the quarterback's forcing the ball out. Um, you know, they don't have to cover the receivers as long, but they just don't have that guy right now that stepped up and said, I'm going to be a dude that makes plays. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I Brown, also understand because Benito was playing the role he had to play in that game because of Adrian Martinez's running ability. Like I also understand that there is an element of maybe your best edge rusher not being able to just pin his ears back and go because of the Adrian Martinez run factor. So again, this is this is somewhat nitpicking, but it, it goes back to the two-lane game as well. And they down the stretch, they were way better in the two-lane game when things got tight and they really needed to just go win their battles. Same thing late in this game against Nebraska. Like, when they needed to just go win their battles, they did. Uh, but again, I just I, I want to see it more consistently because I just I, think I, that group up front with Jalen Redman and Perion Winfrey and Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito, like, I think all those guys are so talented, and it's such a mismatch every time they're lining up against anybody on the football field. So, I, okay, so I do think, though, it is a good sign that Jalen Redman had the game that he had Saturday. For sure, for sure. Because you're talking about a dude that he's filling in for arguably the best edge rusher that Oklahoma has had or traditional, like, defensive end that OU's had in a few years in Ronnie Perkins and... Also, Jalen Redman has the health issues, and he's working his way back. And if the way he played on Saturday was kind of like a sign of what's to come, I think that they will be okay. I think they will be able to just rush those four dudes who you're talking about with Redman, uh, Winfrey, Thomas, and Benito uh, in, in a normal game and be fine. And maybe that that shores up those issues. The second I don't know about sure like fixes, but helps those issues uh, that the secondary has been having. And yeah. I mean, it was a little bit of a tough matchup, too, because Nebraska has some pretty big receivers. Like, they definitely had the advantage in the length on, on the outside. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. By the it's, way. Yeah, uh, again, it's nitpicking, and it's not anything major. And uh, I, I just I, – I, I think those guys are good enough to be one of the best defensive lines in all of college football. And uh, this, with that expectation, there, I just – there are – especially in those third-down situations, want to see a little more. 
this past week, uh, Jalen Redmond pressured the quarterback on 45% of his snaps. Yeah, he was awesome. Which, yeah. And uh, Benito was there at 42%. A lot of the Benito things where he was spying and the play was breaking down. And he right. just decided to crash on the quarterback and, you know, it worked out more often than not. But I think the defense, look, I think that, I think there's multiple ways to look at the OU defense. You obviously look at it in a vacuum and say that the defense needs to play a little bit better if they got national championship you know, aspirations. But also, I think a lot of people, it's hard not to look at this defense and compare it to every defense that OU's had for the past 10 years outside of the last two months of last year. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you have to be satisfied with where this defense is at three games into the season. Oh, 100%. Got, they, 100%. They yeah, 100%. If they're going to win a title, but win a national title, but it, it hasn't been bad. The Tulane... No, it's been, like, it's been good. I'm not saying it... Yeah, it's been good. I just, I want to see it be completely dominant as opposed to good yeah i mean you have to be because their offense isn't their, their offense yeah. is just not at a point right now where they're completely dominant like if maybe if you had the ou offense from like 2019 and this ou defense playing how they're playing right now you'd have no concern about them being a national title winner right but the offense just isn't anywhere near where you need it to be to win a national title right now and it's it's mind-blowing to me um I, you can give me why you think this is happening, but let me throw this out there. So Lincoln Riley becomes the head coach at Oklahoma in 2017, right? So we are in year, what, 17, 18, 19, 20, year five of Lincoln Riley as the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. Saturday was their lowest point total since Lincoln Riley has been the head coach, 23 points, lowest point total in that five-year period. They've only been below 30 points, Aaron, a total of six times before Saturday. One time with Baker, when they lost to Texas in 2017, they scored 29. Kyler Murray did it one time, and it was that Army game that they won in overtime, 28-21. to Jalen Hurts had two games below 30. TCU, they scored 28, and the LSU playoff game, they scored 28. Wow, I mean, they didn't even show up for the LSU yeah. game, so. Yeah. And then Spencer Rattler, 27 against Baylor last year, 27 against Iowa State last year, and now 23 against Nebraska. Here's the troubling part. In three of their last four Power 5 competitions, they've set the three lowest point totals of the Lincoln-Riley era. Their three lowest point totals in the entire Lincoln-Riley era have taken place in three of their last four Power 5 competitions. Baylor at the end of the year, Iowa State in the Big 12 Championship. They obviously waxed Florida, and now Nebraska. So your last four P5 competitions, 27, 27, and then whatever it was, like 55 against Florida, and then 23. Luckily, they are 4-0 in those games. Absolutely, I'm, yeah. And thank God, if you're an OU fan, that like you pray to the football gods that finally like the OU defense is stepping up at this period where the <laughs> offense is going down. Because if, you should imagine if you had the defense that was allowing oh. 35 points a game paired with the offensive struggles right now. It'd be, I, it, so look, I think that... You watch Spencer Rattler, and like it's very obviously how talented it is. Like the arm talent flashes, uh, like off the screen when you watch him. Obviously, the decision making is a little worrisome because he does tend to just kind of trust his arm way too much and throw into double and triple coverage when there's absolutely no reason to. But I think, I think a bigger concern is that this team just doesn't have a any like their group of receivers just is not. As dynamic, they're not as good as they have been in the Lincoln Riley era. I think that's probably the least impressive group of receivers that they've had since Lincoln Riley got there, which is kind of a bummer because he brought in all he's brought in all these top top tier dudes out of high school, and they just I'm not saying they're not going to, but like 
they just haven't like exploded like everybody would expect them to. Obviously, um, was it Trey Bridges the one that got kicked off Trey the team? Bridges, yeah, he's gone. Obviously, and Jane Hazelwood's been good, but he just he hasn't quite been the superstar that you know people were hoping that he'd be. Marvin Mims is obviously really good, but I mean, how many times do you see Spencer Rattler throw to Marvin Mims double covered? I mean, I feel like the only times he throws to Marvin Mims. And, right. I mean, Marvin Mims, I think, is just always covered. And, and look, he should be one of the guys that a defense is circling and game planning around. But like you saw this on Saturday, Nebraska played two high safeties the entire game. And they basically just said, we're going to give you everything underneath. We're going to allow you to run the football. You're going to have to beat us with, you know, just the 10, 10 and below yard plays. Like, you're just going to have to chip. We're not going to get beat over the top. And I, I think that is... Look, that's a good idea in general in today's football world, right? I mean, we always hear about the bend but don't break. Make teams earn it. Make teams have to just go five yards at a time, and hopefully, you know, maybe they make a, dis- a, a mistake along the way. But I think it's it's even more effective against Oklahoma because Spencer Rattler wants that big play so bad that he's going to force some footballs into places that he shouldn't, and that's either going to give you an incomplete pass and put Oklahoma behind the chains, or maybe it results in a turnover in your favor. But, I mean, I, I think we're going to see a lot of this as the season goes on. I mean, why wouldn't you play two high safeties and make Oklahoma earn it? If you look back at all three of the touchdown drives on Saturday, Aaron, I think one was like a 14-play drive, one was a 12, and one was a 10, right? And, and I think what made Oklahoma so great, on top of having the dynamic playmakers that you talked about, but with Baker, with Kyler, and even to a degree, obviously a lesser degree, but even to a degree with Jalen Hurts, all three of those offenses, A, could run the football and demanded the de- defense's respect running the football, and B, they just stretched you in so many ways. I mean, they took advantage of every inch of the football field and stretched you so much that those big plays were available because the defense is stretched out so far. Right now, the only way that, that I think defenses feel stretched is vertically. So they're putting two high safeties, and you can't you can't throw it deep. But it doesn't really feel like Oklahoma stretching you in any other way, and they're not taking advantage of the run game slash maybe capable of being a dominant run team. But I would say on Saturday, both running backs, I think one averaged like five point eight yards a carry, one averaged five point six. Mm-hmm. Like I I feel like they could have run the football for five hundred yards on Saturday, but I also wonder how the depth at running back plays a role in maybe not wanting to, to run the football 50 times, right? Like, you have two guys yeah. to last you the entire season. It's game number three. I would imagine, even if it's not a conscious effort, maybe subconsciously, Lincoln Riley has to be somewhat aware of the usage of those guys early in the season because you got to get through 12 regular season games, a Big 12 championship, and maybe two more playoff games if, if we're talking about national championships. So those guys are going to have a lot of wear and tear as the season goes on, and I think that maybe... He's just trying to pace the touches of those two running backs. But look, I, I thought Oklahoma, I felt like on Saturday, could have run the football every single down and rushed for like 500 yards. Yeah, I mean, both those dudes were just phenomenal. Great. I mean, the offensive line was, I mean, that, that hole is like, like the Red Sea. So I feel like it's a cliche <laughs> when people talk about running holes. Yeah, but you could uh, drive a truck through there. Right. Uh, I could run through that hole. That, that's the cliche I love. Yeah. Oh, that. Oh, look at that off blocking. Oh, I could run through that. Um yeah, but the I mean the play calling was literally like you couldn't be more balanced. Thirty five carries, yeah. thirty five runs, thirty four passes. Yeah. So like, which it probably should have been more run. Like it sure. based on the way Nebraska was playing them, it should have been way more run. In a, in a in a perfect world, if you didn't have to worry about your running back depth, and they had more dudes back there, 
that they could feel good about throughout the season, then you, you I mean, it's probably a, a two to one rush to pass ratio on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, they not, not only was like you said, Nebraska playing a lot of two deep safety, two high safeties and like really trying to take away the, the pass downfield, but OU's offensive line was dominating on the run in the run game. Yeah. So yeah, you would, you would assume that the game script as it progressed would just lead to calling more run plays, but maybe you're, maybe you're right. Maybe it is that Lincoln is really just trying to preserve these running backs uh, for later in the season. But, and I, I feel like that's kind of always been the MO with Lincoln though. I feel like as the season progresses, he's he usually has always t- like trended towards running heavy. Yes. More like run heavy play calling yes. as he got later, gets later in the season. So maybe this is kind of just right on script for Lincoln Riley and his play calling. I remember Ronnie Anderson, uh, that year that he broke out, I think it was, was it 2018, the year that he like really broke out down the stretch. Like, yeah, like the second half of the season, we were making the argument that uh, he was the best player in college football, right? Or having right. the best second half of any player in college football. Right. Come And from a dude that was getting maybe like, what, seven or eight carries a game the first half of the season. Yeah. So, uh, and I think that, I don't know about being the best player in college football, but like, I do think that Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray both have like the potential to be top tier running backs if they get 20 to 25 carries a game. Yeah. Because I mean, you're talking about Kennedy Brooks averages, what, seven yards a carry for his career? Yeah. The guy's insane. Yeah. Dusty brought up a great point yesterday on on the radio show about how Ramondre Stevenson was such a physical runner that like when he was lined up in the backfield there was th- regardless of how much success these two running backs are having versus the amount of success Ramondre had when Ramondre was in the backfield it demanded the respect of the defense and even though these guys are really good they're not the physical ability of Ramondre so defenses just for whatever reason don't respect them as much. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, Kennedy Brooks isn't going to go out there and, you know, run over a linebacker and break a couple of tackles. Like, he's just going to find the hole and just squeeze through for six and seven yards. Right. Like, yeah, I'd be curious how many runs Kennedy Brooks has had that were over, like, 30 yards. Yeah, I don't know. But, but yeah, the guy's the guy's incredible. And, and look, again, Spencer Rattler just has to be smart with the football, right? Like, he can make—he doesn't need to prove that he can make highlight plays and make all these highlight throws. Like, dude— you're the quarterback of this offense that has weapons literally in every direction. Take what the defense gives you and just keep taking what the defense gives you. And here's the thing. When you do that, then defenses start getting stretched and start trying to cover every area of the field. And that's when I feel like the big plays really start opening up. He's already penciled in as like the number one or number two pick of the NFL yeah. draft next year. You're right. Like he doesn't have to prove anything at this point. Right. He just, as long as he just maintains par for the rest of this season, he'll be the number one pick yeah. in the NFL draft next year. Like, dude, you don't, we all know you're great. You have great talent. Like that. We don't have to have the conversation of like, can Spencer Rattler physically do what Oklahoma needs him to do? Right. Like there were times we had the conversation about Jalen hurts. Like, is he a good enough passer to do some of the things that we would like to see in this offense? There's none of that with Spencer Rattler. Like the guy has the tools to make every throw on the football field. It, it doesn't need to be something that you force or try to prove it to us that you can do it because we know you can. You've just got to get to the point where you make the smart decision. You take what the defense is giving you and you force them to adjust. And when they start getting stretched in all the different areas that you can attack them from, big plays will happen. I, I do think, though, that at least for me, it's a it's a bit of a uh, I guess like a transition period like watching this OU team because really for like the majority of the Lincoln Riley era going back to when he was the OC like they've always had that one dude and Marvin Mims is a really good receiver and he's a true sophomore and like put up big numbers yeah. last year like great touchdown guy but like they've always had that one guy that you just couldn't cover 
whether it was a D.D. Westbrook or a C.D. Lamb or a Hollywood Brown. I mean, C.D. I mean, having C.D. Brown, uh, C.D. Lamb and Hollywood Brown at the same time, like you just and Darwin Mark Andrews, like you literally have no hope of stopping yeah. that that offense through the air. But they just, I don't see that guy right now. Like I just don't see the guy that, like, it's a tough comparison, but like a guy like a DeAndre Hopkins guy who like no matter what you do at crucial points in the game, he's going to go make a play. Yeah. And I think that right now with this core, I, the depth is good. Like they've got a lot of depth at that receiving position, but like, I think that it just has to, pr- production and with that group is schematic. Like you have to make place for them to succeed as opposed to like a CD lamb who can take a, a screen past 60 yards. Yeah. Well, look, I think Mario Williams has that ability. And we're also talking about a true freshman that just played his third college football game. So I think he's, by the end of the year, he's probably going to be that guy that if you give him a touch, like everybody holds their breath because it might go to the house. Like he has that ability. And I I, I would almost guarantee two months from now, we're going to be like, man, Mario Williams, every time he touches the ball, we're holding our breath because he's ready to break one. I would also say, as far as that guy that just can't be covered, Austin Stogner cannot be covered. They just don't go to him enough. They just don't go to him. Like what's the, Austin Stogner cannot be covered. Look, I Drake Stoops is another guy that is completely overlooked by defenses. And I think even if you're paying attention to him, he's tough to to cover, especially in this offense. Like there are, I think the weapons to have that take place, but you got to start taking advantage of them. That's fair. And and Marvin Mims to this point has kind of been the deep threat. Like all of his big plays have been deep balls, but like that's what defenses are taking away right now. Right. So like you have to find other ways. Which is, to the point that I'm trying to make is that like you need those guys and maybe it's Mario Williams. Maybe they go to Drake Stoops more. Like yeah. you need those receivers that can, that are playmakers with the ball in their hands. And yeah. those guys just haven't could, they could like, and they could, could Mario Williams be that guy? Absolutely. But like they just, it hasn't happened yet. And I know we're only three games into the season. And I mean, you really, the second game you kind of have to throw out and just ignore as far as any way you evaluate this team, because right. like what Western Carolina is not, you, they're not even in the realm of like being a football team. that can, push this OU team, but I mean, they haven't lost yet at this point last year, they were one and two. So they're already on a way better track than, Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and look, it's especially early in the season. It's about winning, advancing, staying undefeated. And I mean, for as many negatives as we're going to talk about with the, with this Oklahoma team, like there's still nine conference games ahead, a big 12 championship, before you ever see the upper echelon of college football, right? Like we are comparing this team to the best teams in college football because they have the talent to be able to compete with those teams. So they're, they're getting held to a high standard because that's what expectations demand, but there's still, I mean, three months until that actually happens. So there's more than enough time for them to iron out the wrinkles. Through, uh, through three, some teams have played four, but through, through the first, like, three to four weeks of this season. Do you, do you feel like you have an idea yet of who the best team in the nation is? Is it still Alabama oh, for you? Clearly Alabama. Yeah. Clearly Alabama. Yeah. Although, um, the Bryce young downfield thing is interesting. There was, a, they threw out a stat during the Florida game. I think at one point that he was like two of 15 throwing the football on passes that traveled beyond 10 yards in the air. Like, he's not the same dude that they've had in the past with Mac Jones and Tua that, that just hits those deep balls. I give him a lot of credit for how young he is and how well he manages the offense and how confident he is. He's really good uh, scrambling and still finding receivers down the football field. He just, 
at this point at least, hasn't shown really good accuracy throwing the ball down the field. When that when they get that part of the game fixed, like that offense is going to be right where it was a year ago. It, it's funny that you you bring that up. Like after I was just like talking about like the OU receivers like needing to take those like short to intermediate routes and like making big yeah. plays out of them because like yeah. that's all that's what the Alabama offense is apparently. It's just John Meachie and, and oh, Jameson yeah. Williams like making big plays out of nothing. Well, like I was watching that game and and I mean this just kind of shows you how like the box score can can trick you a little bit, but. When Alabama was up, whatever it was, 21 to, I don't know, was it 21-0 or 21-7? Anyway, 20, they... Yeah, 21-3, 21-0. 21-3, yeah, yeah. You look at the box score and you're like, man, Bryce Young is killing it. Well, like, two of the touchdown passes were screen passes that running backs took to the end zone. So it's like one of those things where it's like Bryce Young looks like the Heisman front runner because he's thrown a couple screen passes and his running backs are incredible players and just took it to the house. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just another, like bullet in the chamber of like voting on like stuff like this in college football, because obviously a lot of people just aren't watching full games. Yeah. But Florida, Florida did impress me though. I mean, they were way better than I expected them to be, but that was also a game where, I mean, it just kind of felt like Alabama took their foot off the gas and just kind of played with their food too long. And then Florida climbed back into the game and, you know, obviously hostile atmosphere. And like, I kind of felt like Alabama allowed them to climb back into it. And then, like it was a game, and, and Alabama had to kind of buckle it down and, and take care of it. But okay, I don't, I don't think worse of Alabama from that matchup. That was a stupid question I asked. Let me rephrase that question. Through three slash four weeks of the season, do you have a better idea of who the second best team in the country is? I mean, it's hard to not say Georgia would be number two, and it's almost entirely because of the defense. I mean, that defense has dudes everywhere, man. Like everywhere, they're they're freaks. Uh, yeah. I mean, they have that that, that freshman front, that corner especially. number five. My good lord, that looks like an NFL corner, and they they don't even have. Uh, I think Tyreek Smith is maybe supposed to be back this week. Their their safety former West Virginia guy that's on all the preseason All American lists. I mean Jordan Davis, I would take on the Dallas Cowboys today as uh, as my starting defensive tackle. He's they're just they're so good defensively. They have good running backs with Zamir White. Um, is it James Cook, Dalvin Cook's younger brother? And then the freshman, Kendall Milton. If George Pickens was still there, like, I think that would take this offense to a whole nother level because he's, if healthy, one of the best receivers in the country. Um, JT Daniels is clearly the better quarterback option. Offense isn't great. Like, it's it's not great. But the offense does have a ton of dynamic playmakers. So I think if the defense gives them enough opportunities, like, they're going to hit big plays. So I would say Georgia, too. Um, Ohio State has some real warts. Clemson's offensive line is... Hot, hot garbage, man. Their so uh, their O line is so bad. Uh, you know, it was not good a year ago. It's it's god awful now. I mean, it's it's shocking to watch Clemson struggle in that department so much. We're two um, weeks in. We're three weeks in, and my DJ Oingalele Heisman pick has just could not look oh, worse yeah. than any prediction ever. Oh, speaking of the Heisman, how about this? So Spencer Rattler had the best betting odds to win the Heisman coming into the year. A week ago, he had dropped. I think his initial Heisman odds were like plus 250, right? So a week ago, he had dropped to number three on the odds list at plus 900. Now he is number seven at plus 2,500. So in the span of three weeks, we've gone from plus 250 to plus 900 to plus 2,500. Who's the favorite right now? Matt Corral, Ole Miss. Yeah, that won't last. Um, no, it won't. I'm I'm a big fan of his. I think he's really good. But yeah, Ole Miss is going to lose a couple games, and 
well, yeah, they're going to run into Georgia and Alabama and LSU <laughs> and A&M, and like his numbers are going to they're going to dip. But I think Oregon's really good. Obviously, they have a big win against yeah. Ohio State. Like yeah. I, the way they their physical running style and offense like keeps them in any game as long as their defense like their defense is pretty good. Like their defense holds holds up. Like they can definitely ground and pound any team in the country. Um, I'm not going to say anything about Texas A&M, but they do play Arkansas this week, so maybe maybe that'll be a better uh, like litmus test on where A&M is at at this point. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think Ohio. I know Ohio State lost. I don't think they're ever going to get back into that top five conversation. I just don't think that CJ Stroud, unless unless CJ Stroud takes like big steps in the right direction, I just don't think he's quite there yet to lead a team to to the playoffs, even you know let alone a national title conversation. Well, he's got to get experience, and they just got to get through the season. He'll be a different guy by November than we're seeing sure. right now. But defensively, that's the qu- are they going to be able to hold up defensively throughout the year? That's the big question, I think, with them. Stroud, Stroud's shown that he has ability. He's just yes, he's he a freshman, it. right? Like yeah. he's just he's going to have to go through the roller coaster ride that is being a freshman quarterback for power five and, team against power five competition. So, and a lot of the issues that I have seen with him, and I, I watched the uh, the Minnesota game, the Oregon game. I I didn't watch. Uh, I didn't Tulsa. watch him against Tulsa, but a lot of the issues I saw were him kind of, it, it seemed like nerve issues. Yeah. Not like, not physical, but like mental nerves, like throwing the ball high, missing receivers. Uh, he was uncomfortable that entire game. Right. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, experience maybe will quell that, but I don't know if it'll quell it enough this year to put them back in that conversation, but who knows? It's Ohio State. Also, Jackson <laughs> player for Tulsa, dude, number 90, NFL dude. NFL dude. He is a freak. He will be playing on Sundays. He tells him putting out NFL players. I know, right? Zayvon Collins, Jackson Player, look out. Great names, too. Putting out NFL dudes with great names. Yes. Yeah. Did you watch any of the Oklahoma State-Boise game? I caught tidbits of it. It's it's real tough for me to watch college football right now because I get home Saturday at, like, 6 o'clock. And so, like, my first game is I watch the OU game on DVR. Yeah. And then, like, I'm struggling to stay awake through the fourth quarter. And then... I get home from work on Sunday and like it's NFL. So like I yeah. try to catch up as much as I can. I saw tidbits of it. Um, like, I mean, if they're going to commit to being a physical style team, then I mean, yeah, I, I think they kind of have to do it. I think they're, I, I mean, the, the only the really consistent offensive success we've seen from them in three games is when they just said, you know what? Screw trying to throw the football. Let's just give the ball to Jalen Warren and not and get out of our own way and just let him run. And they allowed that offensive line to just pin their ears back and they allow Jalen Warren to just pound the rock. And that's again, it, like they haven't had off consistent offensive success all season long until they just decided to do that. So like in some way you, you found an identity with this, with this team. So start writing that. Like I, it was a big joke on Saturday night and I, I was having fun with it too. Like at halftime, it was crazy because they had a lead and they had no business being in the lead of that game at halftime, but they had the lead and Spencer Sanders was one of six passing for seven yards, seven yards at halftime, but they found an identity. They found something that was working. Like, I, I don't know why there's this thing in, in football where like, you just feel like, yes, you want to be balanced. Ideally you want to be balanced, but if one thing's not working and the other thing is, just keep doing what's working until the defense gets to the point that they have to do everything in their power to stop it. And then maybe that opens up the other element of your offense. And it was like Oklahoma at one point, I don't even remember the Oklahoma state at one point ran the ball like 15 times in a row or whatever the number was. I don't remember, but it was 
all the offensive success they had, and then all of a sudden they decided, hey, we're going to start throwing the football some more, and it stopped. Like, what are you doing? Just run the football. But I will say, in the most important play of the game, at the end, they called a pass play, and Spencer Sanders threw a perfect pass in the most critical moment of the game to a walk-on receiver, Kale Cabanis, which, I mean, just crazy uh, that that they ran the ball all night, couldn't throw the ball for anything, and then it was a pass play that wins the game. But Well, I mean, nothing sets up a pass play like running the ball 15 yeah. times in a row. Exactly. But, uh, look, yeah, I mean, their defense is – I mean, they've got a good defense. Why not just commit to being – to winning games 21 to 20 and running right. the ball 50 times. Right. Yeah. You're doing your, your team a disservice if you're trying to make them be something they're not capable of being. Right. Like, play in your with, strengths. Good with defense, Mr. Sanders back. Run the football. Like, I mean, that adds another option in the ground game. Yeah. I, I know he didn't have a great game, like, as far as, like, numbers-wise running the, running the ball. But, like, he is a dynamic quarterback that can run the ball. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Start running some option plays, like run the ball 50. Like, yeah, why not? Exactly. And and you have to worry about his ability to run as well, which also helps the running back. Right, yeah. Because it might be Spencer Sanders coming out on the other side. When's the last time that on the same day, neither Oklahoma school in the Big 12 scored 30 points? Oh, I, yeah, it's crazy. And, the, and they both Ever. won. Yeah, and they the both fa- won. I mean, I said on Saturday night, like, Three, four years ago, A, it would have been laughable to see Oklahoma or Oklahoma State score in the 20s. But B, for both of those teams to score in the 20s and win a football game is mind-blowing. Like, if we went back to and told 2017, 2018, Colby and Aaron, like, hey, 2021, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are both going to score 23 and 21 points in, in a football game, and they're both going to win. Like, we would have said, okay, well, they must be playing Kansas. Like, that's right, the only like, way that's possible. They must be playing Kansas and, like, the entire offense must have like gotten hurt on one play yeah. and they had a bunch of like yeah. JV dudes playing offense. Oh, they scored 21 in the first quarter and then like brought in all the, all the freshmen. Like, that's what happened. Right. Yeah. Weird decision, but I don't know. Yeah. It's four years in the future. Maybe things get crazy. Yeah. That's it's wild. I mean, it's kind of funny how things in college football like kind of are so cyclical where like, we're now like seemingly cycling back to the big 12 being a physical conference yeah. with good defenses. I mean, Kansas state three and oh, they've looked good in their first few games. They play Oklahoma State this weekend, obviously. That's going to be a great ball game. Yeah, and OU play Nebraska and like they've got West Virginia of, this week who just beat Virginia Tech. That's going to be right. like two really good games this week. Baylor's three. I don't know who Baylor's played, but Baylor's three and zero. Oh. Like I think a lot of people were probably expecting Baylor to be like two and ten this year. <laughs> yeah, and they're three and zero. Oh. Yeah, but it's a fun conference. I'm a. Uh, I for one welcome the uh, the physical style. Not that I hate the old way the Big Twelve or OU is putting up six hundred yards necessarily, but. I do like some change every now and then. So, speaking of change, does anybody actually like the Boise State field? Like, no. it's, it's a joke, right? It's the like, worst. Is, like, it's a troll job. Nobody really likes that. No, field. it's horrible. Yeah, it I'm was, not a fan. Not a fan. Like, at all. I had a hard time watching. Like, the the parts that I watched that game, it was like pain, like physically painful to watch. It was strenuous on my eyes just to watch that game. Yeah, it sucks. I'm with you. I, I don't like it. Like, it's, like, okay, they have this blue field, like, it's kind of their thing, whatever. Like, fine, but I, it's, it's like, cool is something to be like, oh, yeah, they have the blue field, but it sucks to actually watch football be played on. Right. Also, I thought they, I thought the NCAA made a rule that they couldn't wear all blue on the field. Uh, I mean. I mean, because you legitimately. Oh, it's tough. Could not see Boise State players yeah. on the, when you're watching on TV. Yeah. Like, they, it would, like, straight camouflage on that field. And it was terrible, though. 
But whatever. I mean, they're in freaking Idaho, and they're. I mean, that's one of the main things that makes them relevant nationally is their right. field. So, I get why they do it. If how, you're State. how badass was the Penn State wideout? Oh, Dude. do you remember Ugh. a few years ago when I was interning and I was doing my like question of the day thing? Yeah. And we talked about our bucket list item, like sporting events. Penn State wideout, still to this day, I said it that day. One of my top like five bucket list sporting items is a Penn State wideout, like a like a seven p.m. kickoff wideout game at Penn State. Like it's one of the coolest things in sports, in my opinion. I I don't know about all of sports, but I would say it's probably reached top five for my college football bucket list. Okay, well I I, I should say domestic sports. We'll okay. we'll call it domestic sports. Okay. Top five. I mean, it's all about yeah. atmosphere because if you're not getting a great atmosphere, just watch it on TV. Yeah, no, I because you're going to get. A, a better viewing experience if you're not in a unique atmosphere like a wideout at Penn State. And, I I, yeah, I love it, dude. 107,000 people. Like it's it's just such a cool environment. And they're playing better football than I expected. I said before the season that I was pretty low on Penn State. Like I looked at them as like a six or a seven win team, and I mean they've played good competition through the first few games of the season, and they're what three and zero now. Yeah, yeah, three and zero. They, yeah. They've beaten Wisconsin, who I mean. Is what it is. Like Wisconsin's Wisconsin, but they're a good program. Beating Auburn with who? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if Bo Nix should be starting for the third year at Auburn, but whatever. He's I mean, gotten better. He's gotten better, but has he? Yeah, he looks exactly the same as he did his <laughs> freshman year. I, I think he's gotten better, but yeah, twenty-one. I mean, it's one game, so you know, take it with a grain of salt. But Penn State defense is not bad. Hostile they atmosphere. are. Penn State defense is good, but. You can't. You're gonna tell me he's gotten better. He's averaging five yards of completion. Yeah. I mean, I guess he did have a coaching change. I'll give him a break. <laughs> but I'm not saying he's a Heisman candidate. If his if his last name wasn't Nix and he wasn't in Auburn, he would not. I don't think he'd be starting right now. Well, I don't know what else they have, so I can't say that. That's but I do don't. think I I do think he's gotten better. But anyway. Auburn typically doesn't have great quarterbacks unless they write a nice little paycheck. <laughs> Touche. Uh, how was uh, NFL Sunday for you? Um, what's your What's your big takeaways? I, I'll tell you my main, my number one takeaway of Sunday is that uh, Davis Mills is about to become the next great NFL quarterback because every time the Tyrod Taylor experiment ends somewhere, they find a future All-Pro, right? Buffalo, every Tyrod time. Taylor's out, in comes... Josh Allen, Cleveland, Tyrod Taylor out, in comes Baker Mayfield. Uh, I was about to say San Diego. L.A. Chargers, Tyrod Taylor out, Justin Herbert in. So Davis Mills, get ready, Davis Mills, about to be a Hall of Famer. I do want to talk about the Cowboys-Chargers game because I hyped up Justin Herbert a lot last week, and I want to get your your thoughts on him. But, uh, look, the early games on Sunday, my God, might have been the worst slate of NFL games I've seen in a long time. Those games were... Yes. Unbelievably boring. Yes. I mean, we're talking about how many of the games were like seven to three at halftime are like neither team had gotten a double digits at halftime. Well, shockingly, the Browns Texans game was actually a good game, which means it was a bad game because they're I guess the Browns had no business messing around with the Texans like that. But no, I mean, they should have. I mean, there's a yeah. They, look. Through two games, look, David Coley's done a lot better job than I would have ever expected some guy that I've never heard of to do coaching the Texans in this roster. Like, Tyrod Taylor, until he got hurt, was playing really well. Yeah, he Played was. well last week. So, I mean, we'll oh, see Oh, by if the Davis way, still... official, just now from Ian Rappaport, Coach David Coley makes it official. Tyrod out. Davis Mills will start. Yeah, I heard, I saw a report yesterday that Tyrod might be out for like five or six weeks. Ooh. 
and they're not activating Deshaun Watson, obviously. So it's Davis Mills and like Jeff Driscoll is there who they got rolling out there right now, but they're playing better. They're like, I still think they have the worst roster in the league, but I think that the coaches are putting them in a pretty good situations right now. Yeah. Um, which is the opposite of what urban Meyer and that coaching staff is doing in Jacksonville. Like Jacksonville's roster is not terrible, but they're the play calling is atrocious. Like, I, I don't understand. You've got a rookie quarterback in his first and second games, and you're running five receiver sets. So, like, it seems like they're running five receiver sets 30, 30% of the time that they have the ball. And You have a 1,000-yard back from a year ago that they just don't want to use. Exactly. It, like, a physical runner yeah. that, like, could keep your offense on the field and, like, keep you, like, build momentum on a long drive, like, and help with that. And, like, look, it makes more sense why they drafted Travis Etienne now is because they never planned on running having any running backs in the backfield at any point. But Josh, I mean, Trevor Lawrence has thrown it like 100 times in two games. Yeah, it's insane. Urban Meyer's way out of his element, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if he just straight up quits after this season. Um, yeah, I, there was so much stuff, I guess, around the USC opening and him, like, quitting. I think, like, out of stubbornness, he's going to get through this entire season. But I'm with you. I would be shocked at this point if we saw Urban Meyer back in Jacksonville after this year. I mean, he's, he seems miserable. Just, I mean, just listening to him talk, he just – I mean, we're – two weeks into the regular season and he, I just feels like he's already like checked out. Yeah. Um, which is classic Urban Meyer. He'll probably start getting some headaches and be like, Oh, I'm going to retire. Yeah. Something bad's Medical happening issues. for my legacy. Go to retire. Um, but yeah, but the late games, my God, oh, the late games on yeah. Sunday across the board, incredible games. Aaron, I started the Kyler Murray crusade a year ago. Kyler Murray, most entertaining player in the NFL, not named Patrick Mahomes. That was the crusade I started last year. Every week, I'm pounding the table for it. It's, it's looking good, man. It's looking I mean, good. I, how can you argue that he's not the most entertaining player in the NFL, not named Patrick Mahomes? I don't know how you could talk to anybody that covered OU in the past. It, it, we'll just say 2019. That covered OU that year, or 2018, excuse me, 2018. And I don't. would any of them say that Kyler Murray didn't have the potential to be that guy? to be a top five quarterback in the league and at least be the second most entertaining quarterback in the league. It's funny because I feel like even when he was here doing his thing, that he was underappreciated for how That's good insane. he was. Remember we were on our show. We were talking about this guy. He's probably gonna be the number one pick in the draft, like halfway through the season. And people were like, what? No, no, there's no way. Like, yeah, I remember that. He's like, I, I said it. I've said it a hundred times. He's the best quarterback that I covered at OU short yes, time, obviously, yes. but like covered Two high, Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, like best quarterback I've seen. There was not a thing on that football field that he can't do. And then I love, like I, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but we were kind of doing the Twitter thing, whatever it was, on day two of the NFL draft. And I talked about, we talked about that Rondell Moore pick to Arizona, oh, just yeah. how great of a pick it was because for the first time since Kingsbury and Kyler have been in Arizona, they've got this dynamic playmaker that they can line up in multiple positions and do different things with and. I mean, already, like Rondell Moore, I mean, a 70-yard touchdown pass, which a lot of it was Kyler. That, a lot of that was just Kyler being Kyler and just making an absolutely insane throw 50 yards down the field. But still, like this Arizona offense is legit. The defense kind of took a step back week two after yeah, wasn't just great. absolutely destroying Tennessee. But yeah, I mean, they're still kind of struggling to find a running back to be productive in that offense. But I mean, if Kyler's going to throw for 400 a game and three touchdowns and run for 50 on the ground himself, yeah. then... I mean, they're in a good situation. Well, that <laughs> offense is never going to be a traditional run offense, not if, right? Not if they want to win. Right. I mean, that, taking yeah. away the best 
asset they have. Right. You don't want to take the ball out of Kyler Murray's hands. So yeah, I like. I, I was thinking about that uh, on Sunday. I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, do they do they need a better running back? Like, you'd like to have a threat, but like in terms of play calling, I don't know that anything changes, even if you have a better guy back there. Yeah, I don't look. I, I obviously two games in, but. As great as Kyler's been, like I don't know if I had an MVP vote right now that it would be tough for me not to vote for Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, and that's fair. How insane is how old is he? He's forty three now. Forty four. He's forty four. Yeah, I was about to say he's like uh, five or six years older than me. So yeah. And they they talked about it on the opening game, or maybe it was uh, I don't know what I was watching. Maybe I was watching some like NFL Network show or something like that, but. Tom Brady has improved his release time. Like his release time yeah. now is faster than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, look, he looks like he's in better shape now than he did 10 years ago. Yeah, he's more agile. He seems more agile. Yes, more for mobile. sure. I mean, it, I, like it's insane. Like I, I don't know what to compare Tom Brady to. Five, I mean, five touchdown passes. Yeah. And like some of them were incredible throws. Yeah. It's, I mean, the guy, I mean, Kyler's definitely that conversation for MVP. And like, I have no problem anybody saying he's been the best player through the first two weeks, but Tom Brady's insane. And then Derrick Henry, I mean, if there's ever going to be an example of a running back, then he's an MVP. Like, let's get Derrick Henry an MVP before his body breaks down yeah. in two years because he's earned it over the past 30 games he's played. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I would probably say Brady and Kyler would be at the top of my list right now. Like, Kyler yeah. Murray just, I mean, you see, like, the things that Lamar Jackson's able to do. You see the things that, like, Josh Allen's able to do. And Kyler Murray's able to do all of those things, but he's such a better passer. Like, he throws yeah. the football better than either one of those guys. I mean, it's, if you made me put, a like, a ranking together of, like, just the best passing quarterbacks in the league, and Kyler's got to be top five. Yes, for sure. Maybe top three. I don't know. I mean, there's not yeah. a throw on the field that Kyler can't make, whether it's a 70-yard bomb down the field or, like, just like perfect placement on like a right. little 10 yard slant. Right. He, I don't, for whatever reason, like because he's so dynamic as a runner and as a playmaker with the ball in his hands, people have, even going back to that year he was here, just undervalued how good he is throwing the football. Like this guy's an elite passer. I said throughout the entire draft process after that one year that he played at Oklahoma, even if you take out his ability to run the football, as just a passing quarterback, he would be my number one pick in the draft. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, I, I, so I spent that entire season on the field, like, shooting video and, like, watching, like, CeeDee Lamb and Hollywood Brown, like, running downfield and, like, watching Kyler 40 yards in the opposite yeah. direction, like, just lob the ball at perfect placement. Like, it – and obviously, like, everybody – you can see it on TV. You can see it from the press box. You see it from the stands. Like, it – I. I, I get how it's hard to like notice these things when, like you said, he's just such a he's so fast, yeah, running the ball that that's what you're attracted to. Because as a quarter watching quarterbacks, like that's the more fun thing to watch, especially at that point when we were talking about Lamar breaking college football and Deshaun Watson and like all of these like super athletic quarterbacks in college football. But yeah, I mean, it's you got to be blind not to realize how good of a passer he is. Yeah. Speaking of great passers, though, are we going to? Uh... Herbert and Prescott? Yes. Okay. Okay, first Cowboys off. Cowboys Chargers. That was the best worst game that I've seen in a, in a couple of years. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I, you, I, I texted you about it, and you said that they're the same team. And, like, I thought about it. And I'm like, 
they like they really are the Dude, same. Dude, they're team. the like, same the Char- team. The Chargers are the literal like literally the AFC Dallas Cowboys. You know this the the scene in Ace Ventura where he's like Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is Finkel. Yeah. It's the Cowboys are the Chargers. The Chargers are the Cowboys. I mean the the way they play, the the amount of times they each hurt themselves and lose just find ways to lose close football stupid games. Stupid penalties, yeah. Stupid penalties, but time like, management. T- yeah, but but explosive offenses. I mean, yeah, it's so funny. They're the Playmakers same on defense. Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean the Chargers had two touchdowns taken off the board because of penalties. Like it's look, okay, so I'll I'll start with this. Dallas like needs to just run the ball 40 times a game if their offensive line is going to play like that. Obviously, getting Zach Martin back this week made a huge difference in that game because I mean they were doing a great job. Like Dak never got hit. Uh, Tony Pollard and Zeke just like kind of ran at will. So, well, again, it's also the difference in facing the best front seven in the NFL for sure, and facing a Chargers team that is not nearly that good in the front seven. And like we said, the Oklahoma game that like. The Charger safeties were playing so far back, yeah. That I mean, it just it was like it was like stealing. And I, it's it's I've been so critical of the Dallas play calling throughout the the Jason Garrett slash Kellen Moore era because it's like they go into every game saying, "This is what we do, and you're not going to change what we do." Like we're going to pass the ball today, or we're going to run the ball today, or whatever their game plan is. Like they go into a game with a game plan, and they will not change it. Like, no matter what they're facing, and I appreciate the last two weeks that week one, they're facing Tampa, best front seven in the league, but a suspect secondary. So you take advantage of the weak spot on the defense, you throw the football. This week, with the with the look that the Chargers were giving, you get Zach Martin back in the starting lineup. Like, it makes more sense to run the football, and they did, so run the football. Like, this doesn't need to be a complicated game. Every team has strengths. Every team has weaknesses identify the weaknesses of a defense and go take advantage of them. Like it, it's, yeah. it's mind blowing to me how difficult that's been in Dallas for years. Right. And look, they've at points had the best offensive line in the NFL. And it wasn't even a question. Their offensive line is still pretty good when healthy. Right. But having that offensive line allows you to be super flexible in your game planning because yes, you, like you said, like you can just kind of dictate the skate, the, the, uh, the game flow, by what the defense is going to give you and be successful with it. And they were, they ran the ball really well in that game and they didn't, they didn't really ask Dak to do anything insane. Uh, he was super efficient. Uh, he had the one pick, but like, other than that, like it was just like a really efficient day passing the ball. And like, yeah, they got the job done. He spread the ball out a lot, like outside of CD lamb, nobody really flashed with big numbers, but it wasn't really about that. Like they were getting six yards of carry. Like you're getting six yards of carry in an NFL game. Like you're, you're dominating that game on the ground. But still, Justin Herbert, though. I mean, your man crush. That he maybe you need to be like, a Chargers fan. Maybe that's the team you need to adopt. I I could be a Chargers fan because like those uniforms I mean, are sick, man. I, if, if I went to if I went to that game on Sunday, I would have been the only Chargers fan there. So that would have been pretty that's cool. True. I mean, it's so funny. Like when the Chargers are sending out their field goal kicker, like you could just it's nothing but booze. Well, like, I, it's funny because I had Ari Timken, who's the host of the Dallas Cowboys Radio Network, on my show last week, and he was like, Dallas is the only team in the NFL that will be the most popular team in the building every time they go on the road, but at home, it's like an away game. That is really, that is weird. <laughs> it's like they go on the road, there's Cowboy fans across the country, like everywhere, 
but for some reason, like the home field advantage isn't that great in Dallas because like everybody makes it a point to like when their team's going to go play the Cowboys, that's the trip they want to make. Right. That's funny. Yeah. Ah, that throw to Keenan Allen though. Come on, Colby. Oh, that throw. Yeah. A lot of them. I mean, a lot of those throws. Like and that throw didn't count. That yeah. throw got called back because of a penalty. Freaking. I know. There was one point where I don't even remember which third down conversion it was, but I I like. I think I tweeted a gif of like this guy slamming his laptop into his desk because it was just so frustrating to watch. And uh, a Chargers fan was like Justin Herbert though, and I was like, I know he's really good. Like this is going to be the don't next bring logic years. into this. Like I want to be mad, but how can you not appreciate how good Justin Herbert is? This is going to be the next ten years of Chargers fans though. Like yeah, we lost, but Justin, but Justin Herbert, Herbert. Yeah, come on, guy, come on. You got to say he's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, we're 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 five and ten, but. Justin Herbert, though. Justin Herbert will get us close, and then we'll find a way to lose it at the end. I mean, I don't think I don't think my mental health could handle being a Chargers fan. Honestly, like, I, I just don't think I could handle like the potential, and then just heartbreaking like one score losses yeah. after the other. Those all white unis, though, they're good. Pretty slick. Yeah, with the with I like the that yellow and powder pissed. blue. SoFi plays really well on TV, though. It lo- it looks good. Like it's a it does. Yeah, Kenneth Murray's good too. I know he got banged up a little bit in that game, though. Yeah, but I'm, well. I'm happy for him seeing success. I mean, we talked. That was a tough point of conversation we had on our radio show a lot in his career was like people being super high on him as like a first round pick and like kind of where he was going to translate just because of where he was at during his career, especially leading up into his senior year. But he's a good linebacker. Like he's a yeah. key part of that Chargers defense. Yeah. Well, the so. conversation was always. I mean, is it? Are, the physical ability is a first-round talent, but the IQ yeah. is not. And so, yeah, I, I like. I think he's been good. Yeah, I mean, he's not like you know Pro Bowl or All Pro level, but I mean, he's in his second year. Yeah, he's in his second year. Yeah, he's he's, yeah, he's 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 been good enough. I think so. Yeah, for sure. That was a fun uh, game, though. Like it, it, as frustrating as it was for me at times, like I, I I was entertained the entire way. Yeah, and then Sunday night, just another game from like 3 p.m. on oh, Sunday night, yeah. just nonstop great football. And the, I mean, the fumble at the end, like that was his first career fumble. I mean, what? I mean, what? Yeah. Think about the first that happened in this game for the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes loses his first game in September. Throws yeah. his first interception ever yeah. in September. Clyde Edwards-Helaire loses his first fumble in the NFL. Like Baltimore went from losing to Las Vegas and like, I, I, I wouldn't say embarrassing, but kind of like, it kind of embarrassing the way that that game folded and unfolded and that they Absolutely. lost. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, First play, like what was the second play of the game, Lamar throws a pick, pick six, six, throws an interception, either the next drive or the drive after. So, I mean, they're just starting at a complete disaster. And you're looking at this Baltimore team who has like 100 players on injured reserve right now. Lamar's just throwing picks after pick to Tyron Matthew. You're thinking Kansas City's going to win this game by 30. Baltimore's going to start 0-2. And like this team that a lot of people were high on before the season is just going to crumble. But, I mean... Lamar Jackson was incredible on the ground as we yeah. expected. Like they ended up winning that game and big plays by their defense down the stretch. And it was, it was a fun game. That Travis Kelsey play was absolutely insane. Good Lord. Yeah. My favorite part about all of that is like this, this it's so funny how sports narratives become narratives, but like that game ends the way that it does. And because it ends the way that it does, like all of a sudden all these narratives out there, like, are the Chiefs in trouble because their defense? Like, their defense has, you know, gave up a lot of points. Their defense didn't get stops, blah, blah, blah. And then on the other side of it, it's, like, Lamar Jackson finally gets that win over Kansas City. Like, it's this is a turning point for Lamar Jackson when, like, literally, 
the Chiefs defense wasn't on the field. Lamar Jackson wasn't on the field. It was the Ravens defense and Clyde Edwards-Alaire fumbling the football that got the win. So if that play doesn't happen, Kansas City just kicks that field goal. We're not talking about the defense. We're not talking about Lamar getting the monkey off his back, right? Like, this play that neither one of those elements had anything to do with takes place that changes the outcome, and because the outcome changes, then we get these narratives about Lamar Jackson and the Chiefs defense. Yeah, and look, it's week two also, like... NFL teams so often are just completely different teams when it comes to the playoff, when they get in the playoffs and like the whole day, obviously Kansas city probably isn't Kansas city is Kansas city. But I mean, we've seen Kansas city like play more physical and run the ball more in the playoffs. And you know, but I thought Baltimore did a great job of taking Tyreek Hill out of the game. I said it last year uh, on the podcast that I think Tyreek Hill is the best receiver in the NFL right now. And you can make that argument. He's, even if it's not from a production standpoint, like what he demands from a defense on top of the production is just stupid. Right, because, I mean, you, you you don't necessarily have to double him every play, but you have to at least like bra- give him bracket coverage. Yeah. Like you can't, because he, he's one of those guys that could take a 10-yard slant, 70 yards, or he yeah. can burn you, obviously. So like you always have to have two guys uh, keying on him at all times. So, And he's become he's become a lot better in the red zone. He's become a lot better at contested catches. Like, so for me, Tyree kills the best receiver in the NFL, but Baltimore took him out of that game. Uh, three catches for 14 yards and it forced guys like Michael Hardman and Byron Pingle Pringle ended up making plays in that game. But like, if I'm playing the chiefs, I'd rather any of those three dudes, whether add Demarcus Robinson in that conversation, I force them to make plays, than let Tyree kill get 202 touchdowns on me. Yeah. Like Kelsey, they're, you're never going to take Kelsey out of the game. No. I don't think there's any way. Well, you unless can... you're Levante David, right? Maybe like two guys in the league, just, yeah, like who just. I mean, Kelsey had a big. Kelsey had a big game in the Super Bowl. Still, did he, he? I mean, I have to look at the numbers. I'm pretty sure he put up some big, pretty fat numbers in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't remember what the numbers were, but Levante David won that battle for sure. He was so good. Uh, um, I, I wanted to to mention this. So the the fumble at the end of the game caused by Odafe Owe. Or as, as people may know him, Jason Oway, Penn State, rookie, edge rusher. It's funny. Have you seen how good Quiddy Pay has been for the Colts also? Been killing it. So you got these two guys, Quiddy Pay and Odafe Oway, who at the beginning... We're, we're, we're so... Sorry to cut you off. We're so in Buffalo also. We're so in another. Buffalo as well, yes. Yeah. Those... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll throw him in this conversation. Those three guys at the beginning of the draft process were like top 10 picks, right? Like all three of those guys were viewed as top 10 caliber pass rushers. And it's funny how over the course of that January to April period where no football is played, all of those guys stock dropped for, you know, because like you just start to overthink things, right? Like with, with, with uh, OA, it was, well, the guy was really good at Penn State, but he had zero sacks last year. He didn't sack it was Owe, right, that's only been playing football for like four years, so people started to well, panic about that. I think Owe and Quidipe both have been playing football for a very short amount of time. There you go. But yeah, there was this like, like let, they, those guys were so good and you can see the ability, but there's this overthinking process that takes place with no football being played from January to April that all of these draft people have Owe and Quiddy Pay and, and even Gregory Rousseau is like top 10 talents available in the draft. And then by the time the draft rolls around, you know, it's like, I don't know if these guys are first round picks. Like, what? It's crazy. At a, at a premium position. Yeah. At probably, I mean, you could say tied, I don't know, obviously quarterback's the most important position, and then like left tackle, 
but I mean, you can, I mean, edge, I think edge rusher and left tackle are probably pretty comparable. It's like the second most important position in football right now. Yes. It's quarterback and, yeah. one and then it's left tackle or edge rush two. Yeah. By the way, Travis Kelsey had a 10 for 133 in the Super Bowl. Okay. But I mean, obviously Levante David won because they, the Bucks won by like 30. <laughs> yeah. Well, none of those produced big plays and none of those right. produced first downs. Like, you know, it, it was one of those, like, they were they were checking the ball down to him, but underneath the first down marker, like, Levante David did not let him release down the football field. It was it was an impressive performance. For sure. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm enjoying the NFL season so far, though. It's been, it's been a lot of, it's been pretty entertaining, and, I, like, it, it's at a point right now where I have no idea of where, like, any of these teams are going to be in three months. I mean, the Raiders are 2-0, and but I could easily see them crashing. The Packers are one and one. I mean, they dominated the Lions last week, but they also completely no showed in week one. Yeah. So, like right now, like it's league wide. Like I don't know who the favorites are. Yeah. Obviously, Kansas City has to be the favorite because of Patrick Mahomes. But I mean, Lamar Jackson just beat him, so like yeah. that puts Lamar and the Ravens back in that conversation. Yeah. I mean, hell, look at the two and zero teams, and tell me if you would have thought that these would be the like last undefeated teams in the NFL through week two. The Rams. 49ers, Raiders, Panthers, Broncos, Cardinals. Not not the Broncos, not the Raiders, and not the Panthers. But I, I will say this. I, I was high on, or at least higher on the Panthers than I think a lot of people. They've got a good roster. I mean, we know what Matt Rule can do. And obviously, Joe Brady's a great guy, uh, offensive yes. coordinator. Plus, you have the most, possibly the most dynamic player in the NFL, and Christian McCaffrey. Yes, McCaffrey, like, all of a sudden, last year wasn't as good as the year before. So, I think people to some degree, forgot how good Christian McCaffrey was. Oh, he was he was good. He just got hurt. Yeah. The three games he played yeah. before he got hurt, he had over 150 scrimmage yards in yeah. every game. And then I think you also look at that receiving core that I think is good, maybe not great, but is good. And look, regardless of how anybody feels about Sam Darnold, the one thing you can say about Sam Darnold is he can throw the football. Like, the guy yeah. has talent as far as just the physical ability to throw the football. You put him in a new offense, like you said, with Joe Brady and some really talented pass catchers and a dynamic playmaker like McCaffrey that has to be the focus of a defense. Like that passing game was going to be that passing game's going to hit big plays all year just simply from those dynamics. I mean that their offense was good last year with yeah. Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. Yeah, the problem was Teddy and he just like I like him but He's gotten to where he just checks the ball down so much. Well, that's what I'm that's my point. It's like they were still making those yes, receivers were yes, still making exactly. big plays with a check down quarterback. But now you have a guy that will stretch you vertically as well. So yeah, I, I thought their offense was gonna be pretty good this year. Yeah, Brian Burns is Brian Burns is really oh. good too coming off their edge. Yeah. Uh Shaq Thompson's been good. Like they're they're a good team. Like yeah. obviously they're not in the same league. I mean, they're literally in the same league, but <laughs> metaphorically they're not in the same league as the Bucks. But yeah, like they're I could they, they I could easily see them being a wild card team if they stay healthy. Yeah, I I for me like I'm with you. I think it's Tampa on their own tier in the NFC. Uh, I still have Casey as the best team in the AFC, and I would probably go Cleveland too. Cleveland's just built for playoff football. So like yes. I mean, as long as they keep it together and and stay healthy, and maybe when Odell comes back eventually, that they, he can give them a dynamic weapon. In the passing game, if they, he comes back, man, Baker Mayfield has been fantastic. Really Other good. than the the yeah. the attempted throwaway that resulted in the interception, through two games, he has been fantastic. And I think he's been I, like he has been really good. I think it's a lot of it has been to the 
I don't want to say detriment, but I don't think he's been getting a lot of help from his receivers. No. So if Odell comes back and he can be quasi Odell of what we're used to, then that offense only becomes that much better, especially Baker, like you said, playing at the level that he's playing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I think it's a good start to the NFL season. It's a good start to the college season. We've had so many more good games at the college football level that, like, usually I feel like in the first month of the season, we have all these top teams that are just winning blowouts, and there's, like, six teams that look really good. Like, every, all the top teams have been challenged, and we're seeing, yeah. I mean, not negatives necessarily, but we haven't seen just multiple flawless performances from all the top five teams in the country. So it, it kind of just gives the illusion of, I think, it being more up for grabs than it normally is, which makes it more fun, I think, as far as the perception of college football. Nice. And... We have high school football being, I mean, headline news with uh, Bishop Sycamore and now Bishop Gorman. Did you see the Bishop Gorman thing? No, I didn't see the Bishop Gorman. Bishop Gorman, you're aware of who this is, right? The Las Vegas team. Yeah, we're uh, Tanner, or not uh, Tate, uh, Nate Martell. No, what the hell's his name? Yeah, Tate Martell. Tate Martell. Yeah, he's from there. And uh, Demarco Murray's also from Bishop Gorman. Is he? I knew he was from uh, Nevada. Vegas. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like Bishop 98% Gorman. sure okay. Demarco Murray went Makes to Bishop sense. Gorman. So Bishop Gorman, I, I think it was on Friday night, had a twenty-four to seven, I believe, twenty-four to seven lead, with a minute ten left in the game, and they lost. What? It's like that. It's like that Texas game. Yes. You remember the, yes. I can't remember who was playing, but the, 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 there's like two kickoff returns for yes. touchdowns in the past like ten seconds. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. Um, here's one for you. Do you remember everybody talking about the high school coach that like never punted? Yeah. He yeah. Never, he only did. Okay. So he's coaching in college now. I don't know. if I can't remember if it was a D3 or a D2 school, but he's either a D2 or D3. A couple of weeks ago, he coached his first game at the college level. His team won. They scored 84 points. <laughs> their quarterback had 10 touchdown passes. They opened the game with recovering their own onside kick. I hadn't heard I the stats, but I, I, I had seen a tweet about the score and that they had opened the game with the onside kick and recovering yeah. it. They scored 84 points. Their their quarterback threw 10 touchdown passes in one game. Oh, that's amazing. I think they were playing like an NIAA school or something like that. So like the competition was pretty, pretty not on par with where they're his team. But still, still, that's insane. It's just yeah. What you, okay, so like I, there's got to be multiple ways to look at that because either one, your team practices onside kicks so much that they have to be really good at recovering onside kicks. Yeah. But at the same time, the other team knows you're onside kicking it every time. So, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't, like, I, I'd be curious to see, like, the breakdown of how many times they actually recover. Like, if they recover 50% of the time, that's incredible. Yeah. 24 to 7, Aaron, I just retweeted it, so you can go look at it on, on my Twitter, at Colby underscore Daniels. Bishop Gorman was up 24 to 7 with a minute 10 left in the game, and they lost. So, the other team kicks a field goal, then kicks an onside, Scores the touchdown, kicks another onside, scores the touchdown, two-point conversion to win. This was on ESPN as well? Yes. They did this, oh my God, they did this on national TV? Yeah, that's why I say it's a national story with the Bishop Sycamore and then Bishop Gorman, high school football. Oh my God. Hamilton's not, uh, that's not the high school that Spencer Rattler went to, is it? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so either. Those uniforms. I, don't I look can't at the remember the name of it, show. but if I heard it, I would, I would recognize it. I think. 
It was like it was like Paradise or something like that, right? I think it started with a P. No. Pinnacle. Pinnacle. There you go. Pinnacle. I remember. There you go. Um, God, that's wild. That is a it's a tough Friday night. Yeah. Twenty four to seven with a minute ten left, and you lose. Oh, brutal. Not as bad as uh, not as bad as the officials making Penn State punt on third down. Did you see that? I did not see that. So they messed up the they messed up the downs. James Franklin knew they messed up the downs and is like screaming at the referee that it's not fourth down. And the officials like having none of it. He's like, nope, it's fourth down. And so Penn State punts the ball away because the officials like, nope, not happening. I, I got one for you. Let okay. me pull it up. It was from the Texans game. Uh, this past against the Browns. So the Texans picked up 13. It was third and 15, and the Texans picked up 13 yards to make it fourth and two. The Browns were called four offsides. The Texans could choose between fourth and two or third and 10. The Texans declined the penalty to take fourth and two and then punted. (laughs) Oh, that's horrible. What are they doing? They're tanking. They're trying to get Spencer Rattler. Yeah, that's true. You're, yeah, that's a ta- that's a total tank move. Yeah. Nah, we don't need another attempt. We we're just happy to reach fourth down without turning the ball over. So we're I mean, like happy. You to think punt. maybe you think maybe oh they're going to decline the penalty and take like a short yardage fourth down attempt. Yeah. Nope, just going to nope. punt it. Oh. Why not just punt it? On, why not just accept the penalty on third and ten and punt it and give yourself more room to kick yeah. the ball? Aaron, you have better options now, man. Cardinals, Chargers, like. It's time to let go, brother. There's it's time to options. let go. I, it's hard, man. I don't know how to. It's I don't know how to, to let just go. be a fan of a team by choice. Oh uh, yeah, I get it. Also, how about the Deshaun Miami rumors heating up again since Tua got hurt? I mean, just trade had, him I mean, already. But, like, just just do it. Yeah, I think that I kind of I kind of get where Houston's coming from because, like, if you wait because the NFL hasn't done anything yet and because the investigation's still going, like. If you trade him after his suspension, then his value is going to be higher than before his suspension because teams are going to give up less knowing that they might trade for him and he might get suspended in yeah. three weeks. Yeah. But no, if you I wait until the end of the season after he sat out for 10 weeks or six weeks or whatever and the new team doesn't have to worry about him missing games because of this, then they might be willing to pay more. But I just want like the Colts to go get him and then he Ew, has to face uh, the Texans uh, twice uh. a year. Carson Wentz is the perfect quarterback for the Colts. The Colts don't deserve a fun quarterback. Gross. Yeah. Nasty. Also, I don't know if you saw Carson Wentz has he, he's dealing with sprained ankles on both legs. <laughs> How do you sprain both of your ankles? Remember when Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate? <laughs> oh, MVP candidate. He was MVP, 18, MVP favorite thousand years ago. So God. crazy. Nick Foles just took his soul. Yeah, yeah. It's like I was supposed to be the MVP, and Nick Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. Colts need to sign Nick Foles. Get him in there. Yeah, might win the Super Bowl. Well, going to go get Tyrod Taylor for real, <laughs> and then draft somebody, and whoever that is is going to turn into future All Pro. And we were talking about it when we were talking about Cam Newton. The Colts are like the only team in the league that doesn't really have an answer at quarterback. Yeah, and like he makes sense with their run game. I think. Yeah, I mean, he's best not quarterback. Not offense anyway, so they're. they're uh, you're going to get me frustrated. I got Jonathan Taylor on one of my fantasy teams. Yeah. And the Colts were on the goal line and ran at Aaron Donald three straight times. Ooh. And guess what happened? They didn't get Aaron any, Donald, any yeah. yards. They didn't score. Yeah. Sometimes it just 
Like these coaches know immensely more about football than I do, but at the same time, like, why would you run at Aaron Donald three straight times? Speaking of fantasy, I, I like, I really wanted Zeke in our draft, and you took Zeke one spot before me. I'm sure, you're not regretting that. Um, no, I mean, I, I to me, it was crazy to me how low Nick Chubb was on all the like pre-draft rankings. Like, I think he was like in in our on on the board in our draft, he was like ranked no, like, number thirteen or fourteen. I had the what sixth or seventh pick in the draft. And I would have taken Zeke because I'm a Cowboys fan. But, like, when Zeke was gone, it was a no-brainer to me to take Nick Chubb because he's in a run-heavy offense with arguably the best offensive line in the NFL. And even though he does have to split carries with Kareem Hunt, like, he's, still getting, a, split, he's still getting a full workload, and he gets lots of goal line opportunities. Like, I, I, it's like because they have two running backs, people just thought, well, Nick Chubb's not a Tier 1 guy. I, I, it's so weird to me. Yeah, I mean, that's really just what it boils down to is the, the Kareem Hunt thing kind of scares people away from taking a guy like Nick Chubb too early. Yeah. And like, especially if you're in a standard scoring league or like a l- very, like a low PPR, like our league is what, 0.1, 0.1 yeah. PPR, then like Nick Chubb's value isn't really hurt by him not being super involved in the passing game because you're not getting points for receptions. Right. Well, minimal points, yeah. Minimal points. But yeah, so like it doesn't make sense that he would be below guys like Austin Eckler like Jonathan Taylor like you or Jonathan, Jonathan yeah. Taylor for example like Jonathan Taylor's really good but Jonathan Taylor plays in an offense where literally everybody knows they're going to run the football and yeah. like it, it, they're a good offensive line but they're not the Browns like and, and the Browns are going to get more opportunities in the red zone like to me it's just apples and oranges but because there's another back in the backfield like automatically it's like oh he's he's not going to have as many chances like yeah it's crazy yeah really good back that he's sharing the backfield with but yeah, it's, yeah, he's still getting even more than enough touches every single week, as right. long as he's healthy. Yeah, that Georgia team was good. Yeah, yeah. I was I, mean, I was actually looking at at some of my on field photos the other day from that Rose Bowl, and the running backs were uh, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, and um, DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift. Like I have a picture of all three of those guys like standing next to each other, doing the running back drills. It good. Yeah, add in Roquan Smith on the defense, like oh, yeah. Just, I mean, obviously they're really good. They were what, like, two plays away from winning the national title. So. Yeah, yeah. With Jake Fromm. God, that that wasn't that long ago, but it just seemed like so long it ago. That was like to his first game. Forever ago. Fromm was a freshman then. Yeah, two had played his first snaps. <laughs> yeah, or not his first snaps, but like that was his first game. It was a national championship game, and Jake Fromm was a yeah. Jake Fromm being a freshman, that was wild. Yeah. yeah. That was Baker's last year, right? Baker's last year. Yeah. It feels to me like the Tua in Miami thing just, it feels like it's just been such a disaster. Like, I almost feel like both sides just need to be like, you know what, let's reset. Yeah, it's, I mean, Tua just can't stay healthy. Yeah. I mean, they've, I mean, they put good weapons around him. Like, they're trying to help him out. But like, I mean, what, I mean, if the dude can't stay on the field, there's not, I mean, what are you going to do? And he doesn't, I mean, and too, like, he really, he really doesn't have like that top tier arm strength to play in the NFL. We could play in the NFL, but like, yeah, you just got to have the right notice. offense. I mean, yeah, you have to know what he is. Which maybe guys like maybe putting guys like Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle around him aren't necessarily the right guys to put around him. Because you're really giving him a bunch of weapons and asking him to like attack downfield. Yeah, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Will Fuller didn't play; hasn't played yet. Yeah. Jalen Waddle's been okay, but we'll see. I mean, he's better than Jacoby Brissett. We saw that on Saturday on Sunday. Yeah. No, I agree with that, for sure. All right, my friend, anything else on your mind before we shut this thing down? 
Um, no, not that I can think of. All right. You psyched for Thunder Media Day next week? Um, didn't even know it was happening. The NBA season's already Dude, starting. Yeah, I, I saw this like uh, last Friday. Yeah, Thunder Media Day, I believe, is next week. I haven't even had time to like digest the start of football. Right. Like, I feel like we just kicked football off. Yeah, I'm like, not excited. The, the NBA will not be on my radar for a few months. Yeah. Maybe I'll watch Russell Westbrook's first game with the Lakers, but outside of that. But, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, you know, masochist, so I like some, I like to, you know, see some pain. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Media day already right right around the corner. But, uh, and baseball, like, it's, it's, it is that time of year, though, where, like, baseball gets to the postseason and, like, it's just sports heaven. Oh, for sure. October's the best month of oh, so the sports good. calendar. So good. All right, buddy. I will let you run. Uh, I have to get uh, little man ready for school. So, all right. Always fun, buddy. Happy uh, Tuesday, Davis. There, there you go. I'm gonna get a shirt made. Trademark it. Yeah. Right. See you. All right. Later. Buddy. Podcast is over.